Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Ken Griffith. We talked back in late December about really a fascinating inquiry he had into what he believes is the candidate site for Noah's Ark, Altar and Tomb, different place uh, in kind of central Turkey, north west of Iraq. Uh, but uh, you can go back and listen to that. But we were talking and he uh, said that he has a lot of information about transhumanism. So I just followed up with him. And the title of our discussion today is going to be titled The Transhumanist Agenda. I've done some other shows, one with Ken and me, kind of on the subject. But I think that it's very important. Ken has a kind of his own take, I think a very interesting take. But he can talk more about that. So Ken Griffin, well, Griffith, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming back on. Yeah, great to see you again, William. Okay. For people who may not have heard our last uh, our last discussion, can you kind of talk about your research background? You're on academia, and you kind of covered a lot. You've looked into a lot of kind of different subjects, but maybe you can talk about your background, academic background, and what led you into your interest of transhumanism. Well, I'm mainly a reader. Uh, I went to Virginia Tech, but my background is actually more in uh, biological sciences. Um, but I'm interested in ancient history. I've done a lot of research on ancient history and philosophy. And the uh, things that are going on in the last few decades with regards to transhumanism, I've noticed some parallels to things that went on in, in ancient history. In other words, this is not a new idea. It's just the uh, advanced development of an ancient idea. Gotcha. And can you maybe you can talk about what these ancient ideas were about, uh, you know, this kind of new man or diff upgrading man or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, the, the serpent said to the woman that um, if you eat the fruit, you won't really die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. And I think ever since that time that humanity has had um basically been pursuing self-deification that's basically what was what he was promising to her is if you eat this you'll become a god and we are offered basically two paths to um to our own development and future one of those is is in connection with god which is uh basically the christian worldview uh, but then the serpent's worldview is that no you don't need god in fact um, in order to fully reach your full potential, you need to rebel against God, cut all of your ties to God, and redefine yourself, and that way you become God. And I think ultimately that's what transhumanism is trying to do. Gotcha. So man is trying to to become kind of independent, kind of uh, the original temptation, right? You shall be as gods. Yeah. And this also goes back to the Greek dialectic. Um, they believed in the chain of being, or they called it the ladder of being. But the idea was that of things that exist, of things that have being, there there's non-living things at the bottom. Then there are, you know, worms and microbes and things, and then animals, and then people, and then angels and gods above, above us. And the idea is that all of that is in one chain of being, and it's possible to move higher or lower on the chain. Whereas uh, the Christian worldview is that God is, the creator is distinct from the creation. He's, he transcends the gap between himself and the creation. And that's why we have the idea that we can have a relationship with God. 
but um, the idea that a human could ever become God is impossible in the Christian worldview. But in the, um, the ancient Greek worldview, evolution is the expression of the chain of being that you, that, that mankind or other beings could advance and become more godlike. Um, and if you look at uh, the doctrine of transhumanism, they actually self-consciously view it as um, continued human evolution. Um, so to quote Max Moore, who is one of the, the luminaries of this movement from 1990, he says, transhumanism is a class of philosophies of life that seek the continuation and acceleration of the evolution of intelligent life beyond its currently human form and human limitations by means of science and technology guided by life promoting principles and values. Right. So there was this idea of kind of becoming the Uberman or Overman through science and things. And, and it's just become into a kind of a new cloth in the 20th century. Right. Yeah. Kind of, can you talk and more it, about it? It has several different elements. Um, if, if you look at the 20th century in popular fiction and film, we kind of see the transhumanist worldview most clearly in the superhero and the science fiction genres. So superheroes are men and women who gain some enhancement that gives them great power compared to normal humans. Sometimes the superpower is gained through external actions, like Spider-Man gets bitten by a radioactive spider and he gains his superpower. But other times the superpower is gained through deliberate human modification or self-modification, such as Iron Man or the Incredible Hulk. Uh, like with Iron Man, he builds this machine and he can step into the machine and become the Iron Man. But then when he steps out of the machine, he's just the guy. Um, right. So this is um, the worldview of, yes, we can become more than human. We can become like gods. Right. In kind of comic book form. So you see that in fiction um, and a lot of these different uh, ideas are, are bandying about. I think it was like this idea of, you know, transhumanism goes back to Tyler D. Chardon. Have you ever seen the connection between that? And, and uh, I think the intro was by Huxley or something. Well, Julian Huxley, they said that, you know, they're going to apply this eugenics to create a new man. You ever heard yeah, that? Def definitely. It was uh, Huxley was definitely part of the late 19th, early 20th century development. I think this kind of goes back to the, the development of secular humanism as a self-conscious um, viewing humanity as God that goes in the early 20th century. So there were all these ideas back then and keep in mind that they were just coming out of using horse and buggies. And it's amazing the things that they imagined a hundred years ago now have come within reach through science and technology. Right. So a lot of these ideas of manipulating our own DNA, um, for example, CRISPR technology, this, I've heard people talking about it. They're very excited that the idea that we can heal ourselves of genetic defects by using CRISPR technology to edit our own DNA. Um, and it's the same basic fundamental idea that um, man redefines himself that man as God redefines himself. Um, so if I don't like the, the DNA I was given, if I don't like that I have an X and a Y chromosome, I can edit myself or that humanity as, as a whole can edit ourselves. 
And in some ways, this kind of variance of gender or post-genderism is a form of transhumanism. Would you agree with that? Definitely. So when we're born, male or female, nobody ever asked our opinion about it. Um, and for, for that matter, no one asked for our permission for, to bring us into the world. And I think that um, the LGBTQ movement is a subset of transhumanism in which individuals are rejecting the sexual roles that were assigned to them by the creator at birth. And they seek to change both their behavior and their bodies in some cases using a range of tools from plastic surgery, prosthetics, and to even theoretically DNA editing. So right. the, the fundamental, um, I guess, human impulse that's going on there is saying, it's not fair that someone else made a decision without asking me, therefore I'm going to change it. Right. So it goes back to exactly that intro that you can change what you want. And I think so this transhumanism isn't something vague. It's palpable. It's something that's happening at least. And that's just one segment of it is this post-genderism. Like I can call myself a woman, but not even have any surgeries. A lot of those guys don't even have surgery, which is really scary. So, um, just another example and this CRISPR technology edits the gene. So, I mean, the, we're just at the beginning of that and they're tinkering around in China talking about being a God, they're tinkering around with CRISPRs of embroyos, which is really scary. So, and, and throw into it, this, what's this gene therapy that you have now really is kind of a form of transhumanism. Would you agree with that? It's not really a vaccine. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's really kind of scary that they've, they foisted that on the public as a vaccine when in fact they're actually altering the DNA in your cells. Um, it's a major new development and it really is something that should have been tested and discussed a long time before even considering releasing it to the public in the way that they have. Um, yeah, it's interesting that I think that part of transhumanism is it's really kind of a rejection of the incarnation, meaning that um, we're told in the Bible that God made man in his own image. And the image that we have is that we are a spirit and a body. And, you know, the creatures that are above us, angelic beings, they supposedly are spirits without corporal bodies. And the, an the animals, which are below us, are have bodies but don't have intelligent spirits. And so humanity is in some way unique in having being at the intersection of those two. And um, it seems to me that transhumanism is in part a rejection of the image of God because it's a desire to get away from the creator. As Because if, if I create something, I own it. And by denying the, that there is a creator i'm trying to cut the ties of uh, any claims that the creator has upon me and therefore creator's image and since we're made in the creator's image there that impulse is going to have a logical conclusion of trying to mutilate that image or deface it and or ultimately to change it and erase it so i think um, there's a very real sense in which the the rebellious human spirit, which is in rebellion against God, um, has the desire ultimately to replace humanity with something else. And that the transhumanism, you see it um, melding man and machine, but you also see it in changing DNA. 
And then it gets to the point of, well, what would stop them from hybridizing DNA? For example, you know, humans are intelligent, but most of the animals are way stronger than us pound for pound. What if we mixed, what if we created a breed of people that were a uh, hybrid using ape DNA, you know, with mostly human. So you're mostly human, but you've got the strength of an ape. Um, well, once you open that door, it just opens up a whole can of worms um, to where people could go with it. Right. They're no longer human. That's the island of Dr. Moreau, H.G. Wells type stuff right there. So he's kind of somebody will probably tinker around with that at some point, which really people is on the horizon. Right. I mean, in some one of these countries without proper legal oversight or something. Oh, it's definitely already being done. Um, for example, some of the animal testing, they they take the scalps from aborted fetuses and sew them on into mice. Um, so and that's not even doing DNA mixing, but. They are doing things where they're, in the name of medical testing, they're creating hybrids that are basically what you would call a chimera, where you have either a plant or an animal that whose DNA has been mixed together with human DNA. And obviously, once you start down that road, the question is, where are the limits? If you, if you, if you cross the threshold, then you're into a whole new world of corrupting the human genome. Right. Corrupting the image. I think that's a, a book by Tom Douglas, Doug Hamp, I think wrote a book like that, where it's the same type of thing from a Christian perspective that you're really tinkering around with things that are very bad. I mean, th let me quote this. This is from Julian Huxley, Introduction to Tyler de Chardon, both very influential in many ways. But Huxley particularly says, quote, up till now, human life has generally been, as Hobbes described it, nasty, brutish and short. The great majority of human beings have been afflicted with misery. We can justifiably hold the belief that these lands of possibility exist and that the present limitations and miserable frustrations of our existence could be in large measure surmounted. The human species can, if it wishes, transcend itself, not just sporadically, an individual here in one way, an individual there in another way, but in its entirety as humanity. Really incredible statement. Yeah, yeah, and, and truly... The objective is deity, deification. The goal is to become more powerful, to become godlike. Now, the interesting thing is that we, since we are made in the image of God, we already do have amazing powers. It's interesting that in the Tower of Babel passage in Genesis chapter, I think it's 10 and 11, um, God says, if they are trying to do this, they can do anything they set their mind to do. So there's a recognition from the creator himself saying that if humanity is united against God, there is almost nothing that we couldn't achieve. And so he confused our languages to put a barrier there to make it harder to do that. We also have a limitation put on us in the form of uh, our lifespan. You know, there was the original curse of death in the garden of Eden. And then after the flood, a, a limitation of the human lifespan and a huge part of the transhumanist agenda is to overcome death. So we see a lot of research going into extending human longevity um, and the theory that we could we could uh, figure out why our bodies self-destruct and fix it so that we could effectively live forever. And the interesting thing is that Christianity offers us both the hope of that eternally through the resurrection of the dead 
but it also offers that um, it suggests in the Bible that um, as the gospel permeates the world, that the lifespans will get longer. And I think Isaiah says that uh, even a child, someone who dies at 100 would be considered but a child. So there is a promise from God that he will extend our lifespans again if we as if we as a um, humanity are faithful. But the transhumanist agenda is to achieve that, to just take it by our own strength to effectively, um, we will fix ourselves. We will overcome this curse through technology, gene editing, or whatever it is that we have to do. Right. And I think Methuselah, in the very beginning of the Old Testament, these guys were living very long. Noah had a lifespan of many, many centuries. And Methuselah was, what, 800 years? So, yeah. Yeah. So the human beings, at least in the biblical record, were some people lived very long lives. Yeah. And theoretically, I suspect that was due to a change in the environment. Um, there's only one environmental factor that's almost the same everywhere on Earth, and that's the atmosphere. I suspect that before the flood, the gas mix probably had higher oxygen. Um, hmm. Studies of gas bubbles found in amber suggest that the ancient atmosphere had about 40% oxygen, whereas today it has 21, 21%. So it may be that um, changing the gas mix actually allow humans to live longer, but that's a lot harder to do than it sounds. And again, it's the question of, are we going to allow the creator to do that for us or do we just reach out and take hold of it and try to overcome um, the, the limitation that was placed upon us for our own good to keep us from doing extreme evil. Right. And it's interesting. And I mean, these people today, like some of these elites, Silicon Valley elites, they're involved heavily in transhumanism. Can you talk about some examples of that? Uh, one of the clearest examples would be in terms of longevity. Um, Peter Thiel was discussing and I think funding research on using blood transfusions from children to extend lifespan because some of their findings were that if they took blood from children under the age of 12 and they infused them into elderly people, that it, it had rejuvenating effects on them. And that's kind of creepy. There's you can just see a potential genre of various um, the wicked witch, evil witch kind of yeah, vampire scenarios. Um, but that's literally something that is in the last twenty years. Um, right. In the other, in the other area would be. Um, let's see here. Well, here's another one. I can give you an example. Elon Musk is putting that uh, thing in people's brains. And I think some of the animals he put it into died. But oh, like yeah. the neural network is is definitely transhumanism. And even Google Glass, to a certain extent, could be seen as kind of a transhumanist, something stuck to your face or this whole, whatever, Mark Zuckerberg's Oculus stuff. Like these are these are getting real close because I mean, there's a potential that you could just have that thing strapped to your head all day. And you're in a completely different metaverse right so yeah and of uh, course the idea is to to graft it into your brain so that you, your your brain is directly connected to the internet and so what we you see the the discussion about the internet of things where they want to connect all of the little toasters and microwave ovens and various household appliances to the internet in your car but even so what musk is working on doing is actually connecting the brain 
And if they can connect your brain to the internet, well, that might give people a lot of power, but it could also be a way of controlling you because think about right now, um, what we've seen in the last three to five years have been attempts to control the search algorithms on Google and Facebook in order to suppress information they don't want people to have. They, they want to suppress conversations they don't want people to have. Well, if you have the internet grafted into your brain, and what if you don't have the ability to choose your search engine provider, then effectively, um, despite them giving people this huge power of knowledge by being connected to the to a, a global internet, they also would have the ability to control what they are able to see and hear and read from that body of knowledge. And of course, it comes down to uh, controlling people through propaganda. Right. And I mean, you could see, I mean, it's, it would be even more pervasive than what is happening now where you have you know, five major corporations dictating the corporate media right now and, you know, controlling information, you know, making sure that stuff is suppressed. So imagine that in somebody's mind, like you're done. And if you talk about transhumanism, it would be the opposite. It would be like a dystopian transhuman where you don't even have choice anymore, which uh, I mean, we're, we're there. It's not like something in the future. These issues are now. So it's very important to have these discussions and be aware of some of these characters like I don't think Google's good. They're evil, man. And some of these guys are flat out transhumanists. Kurzweil, people know. But uh, yeah, or it's pretty crazy. There was this guy, Marvin Minsky. Like a lot of these guys that were Epstein associated too. I, have you heard of Marvin Minsky? Uh, I'm not. He is. He was kind of an influence on a space odyssey. But he was one of the first guys talking about in the 60s, kind of in science fiction, he was a computer scientist, but I think, and if I remember, I mean, this is how crazy it is right now, but I'm pretty sure Virginia Dufre, who Prince Andrew just settled with, said she was sent by Epstein to have sex with Marvin Minsky, who is like a transhumanist, uh, futurist technology guy. Wow. Yeah. No, it's so super crazy. And he, even Epstein was known for having some kind of a ranch where he was planning to have all these women as breeders for his offspring. And right. so you can see that definitely, um, I, th I think his uh, sex trafficking was probably tied to his intelligence connections to certain countries we won't talk about. But right, but you no, know, and he was he was involved, I think, in an MIT environment where he was financing or supporting some people. He's a front. Somebody through him was financing them. And he also financed the guy Gortzerl, who is creating like a robot person that will react to you. So, you know, it's I mean, it's very strange. Like all these guys who are Epstein associates, very close, were on Joe Rogan show. Like, there's a whole list of like ten of them. It's off the chart. And he, Rogan never asked them questions about Epstein. But hmm, uh, interesting. Yeah, one of the yeah, it's I forgot what the robot woman's name was, but. Uh, yeah, Epstein financed that. Hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it is. It is interesting how the elite play us with individualism versus collectivism um, when they want to. So, for example, the whole uh, pro-abortion agenda for the last fifty years has been individual rights, individual rights. Um, I have control of my body. But then, all of a sudden, um, when this pandemic came out, all of a sudden, it's no for the collective. We 
we're going to do vaccine mandates and you have to take it. Um, so that suddenly the collective is more important than the individual when they want it to. And I suspect that you might see the same thing with these issues concerning the um, transhumanism, the breeding of people, because as soon as they start telling you that you have, you're mandated to take this um, DNA editing vaccine, so-called vaccine, um, yeah, that vaccine. really opens it's up gene therapy. Worms yeah, it's gene therapy. What, what other things are they going to start dictating? Right. It, the mandate is a dictate. It's a, it's a, it's like a King's dictate. It is not something that's thought about. It hasn't been put through the um, Congress or anything. So yeah, tyranny is, is very real, man. Very real. And what are the consequences of this called gene, gene therapy assault? We don't really know the next three or five years we're flying blind because never in the history of humanity has that many people been injected with something they don't even know i mean there's all people are saying there's all kinds of stuff in there but mike i mean literally self-reforming microchips so you want to talk about transhumanism you take you take two of those pfizer shots baby you might not be a you're an adapted human possibly yeah it's it's okay. i don't i guess i don't know what's in there i don't want to say that yes they're doing x y and z all I know is there, there are things in there that they don't seem to have reported to the public. Yeah, I agree. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's pretty scary. I mean, supposedly, what is Kurzweil's, I think, uh, Lee Veltman says here, 2045 initiative. I think that's when Kurzweil predicted singularity. Is that right, Lee? He's listening in. But I think that's it. So, like, we're not that far off. We're not even, yeah. like, a generation off. Getting close, I think. Oh, that's that's really interesting. That one of the things that Elon Musk is afraid of, and actually, I've heard, you, you hear this a lot. Of course, we see it in science fiction. That is the fear that the machines will become smarter than us, and you see this um, obviously in um, films like I Robot and The Terminator, where Skynet decides to eliminate humanity, and then of course The Matrix. Um, but that's actually a very interesting philosophical question is, can we create something that is more intelligent than we are? I'm skeptical that we can even create something that is as intelligent as we are. I think that our intelligence is something that is unique to us, given by the creator. And that if you look at what artificial intelligence is, it's really a misnomer because most of it is really what would be more accurately called a, a brute force attack or um, pattern recognition where these computer algorithms are basically um, processing large batches of data, looking for patterns that can be recognizable and then allow certain predictions. And while that can give them um, an edge over people, just like, you know, you remember in the Rain Man, how he can just flip through a phone right. book and memorize all the phone numbers. Well, a computer might have that kind of ability, but it doesn't have the ability to empathize. It doesn't have the ability to think and it really doesn't have the ability to create um and so i think that the the irony of the whole transhumanist attempt is that it's doomed to failure meaning that um we aren't gods even though we are made in god's image we are not we are not gods we can never rise to the level in the power of the actual creator because the creator is outside of creation we are limited we are finite and therefore we can never create something equal to ourselves in my view uh i could be wrong about that but that's how i look at it 
I agree. I mean, and they've had trouble trying to get these computers to think because human thinking is so curious. Like they've done deep blue. They can put it in front of a chessboard, but there's still not that human thought of perception. And there's so many, it just shows how complex human beings are that we're super complex. We're way outside the Darwinian model of, of uh, humanity, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, our thought process is more than a math problem. Yeah, it's just, and you know, and we're conscious of our finiteness. We're conscious of creation. We have different drives, uh, artistic drives, and things like that. We feel sorrow, loss, comprehend, you know, sadness that an inanimate being just doesn't uh, doesn't know. The inanimate being can't sense that. You can't sense that about. It, so. Yeah, I mean, I think that like the, the our Darwinian model fails. It brutally fails in a lot of ways because it doesn't account for the super complexity of a human being. Yep, that's definitely true. And I think ultimately what will be the result of this is a, a uglification of humanity. Um, meaning those who choose to go this route end up destroying themselves. Um, you, you can see this in the body modification craze, you know, where people... Um, First, it started with excessive piercings, and then it went to, um, you know, people getting horns put on their head, you know, grafted in, <laughs> and total total um, coverage tattoos. But what they're doing is they're trying to def replace the image of God with something else. But in most cases, it turns out being something that's just ugly. Um so that's one of the downfalls of, I guess, the impulse behind the entire movement. If it's really driven by a very deep level hatred of the creator, and since the creator created beauty, then ultimately, if you hate the creator and you want to re replace his image with something else, it's going to be something that is not beautiful. Right, or take its place, right? Like man becomes a god. And that's kind of like the real presumption of the satanic um, ethos, really. It, it really a core is that you are a god. And it, it crosses through all kinds of occult traditions, groups, cults, whatever. So, and it's it's really a foundation. Just like Crowley said, Libra 77 was, there's no god but man. So he's yeah. directly in within the biblical tradition of like the rebellion and cutting God out. And he probably would have been a transhumanist and probably, I mean, I think there was some body modification. He supposedly filed his teeth into points. And hmm. that's why when you see pictures of Crowley, he's never smiling because he really was probably one of the first body modifications as well as, you know, the sexual depravity and the drugs and stuff like that. And drugs actually could be seen in a way it could be con considered or interpreted as a as a kind of body modification, you know, perception modification. So yes. I think that yeah. yes. So in you fact, see in the there's a great example of that. Um, there is a plant that grows in Kenya called mira, but what it's called in most Arab countries is kat. K-H-A-T, and it's a natural form of amphetamine that's pretty close to Adderall growing in the leaves of a tree. And um, I had it growing in my garden when I lived in Kenya a few oh, wow. years back, back about 10 years ago. Well, um, 
there was a pharaoh, there was a writing about this, <clears throat> I think in the New Kingdom, where it basically said in the scroll that um, that he who chews this plant becomes a god because it elevates your your mental processes. And um, of course, I, I considered that um, it was legal in Kenya. And since it was growing in my garden, I actually chewed it a few times. And uh, it's very mild, a little bit more than caffeine. It does, it kind of stimulates your um, focus. And I was able to break my all time high on some computer game <laughs> and, write, and write more lines of code. But, you know, but there's the a huge, was, yeah. yeah, there's a huge trade for Kite spelled also Q A T, but there's a huge mm -hmm. trade in East Africa. Interestingly, it's funny you mentioned Kenya because 2% of my liter listenership uh, globally is in Kenya. And I find that pretty remarkable. It just shows how modern technology can get around because it's a former English speaking calling, right? Oh yeah, well Kenyans love to read. I, I, I was blown away at how many books Kenyans read. Um, they they are much more literate and educated than most Americans. I'll tell you that. Wow, so. well, that's impressive. Um, Ken, do you mind taking a few questions or seeing what uh, some people have some sure. questions for you? I got okay. one from Hill Doggy. She says, "Do you see similarity between what happened in the Book of Enoch with what is occurring today?" Yes. And of course, that's a controversial question of what was it? What was Genesis six talking about? Of what was this? Um, these sons of God before the flood who had children with the daughters of men were those angelic human hybrids, or were the, was that um, the line of Seth marrying from the line of Cain? And um, rather than taking a strict position on that, I, I usually just present both sides of the story, but. I think that we are given a message that if you think about what Satan does, his instinct is whatever God said, do the opposite. And before the flood, we're not given this huge detailed law like the law of Moses. It, the law was pretty simple. It was be fruitful, multiply each after your own kind and don't eat from that tree, that particular tree. And so the first thing Satan says is, is eat from that tree. And the second thing, you can imagine was, oh, well, then maybe we should try to reproduce not according to our own kind. So I would not be at all surprised to learn that part of the the crimes that led to the flood was the corruption of the genome of all creatures, of, of deliberately mixing uh, genetics, uh, creating chimeras and hybrids. And... Um, it seems to me that now that we've discovered DNA, we've crossed this threshold, and it's very possible that we might see a repeat of those that same kind of thing. And we, we definitely do see this going on in labs right now. And unless, unless there's a huge moral outrage and says, no, this has to be stopped, this must be made illegal, then I think we can presume that they, that they are gonna go that way. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy bio labs and stuff like that. That, I mean, they've made chimeras already. Like they've made what uh, pigs that can spew out, you know, spider webs and all kinds of crazy stuff. So. Do you remember that Jessica Alba TV show? I think it was called Dark Angel or something like that back Sounds in the familiar, yeah. back in the early 2000s, where she's she's basically uh, a bunch of kids who were part of this government program that they hybridized humans with animal DNA. So she was like part cat, and, but there are other ones that were part dog and stuff. 
but it's that same the idea was in the pursuit of power in the pursuit of super soldiers that the government would try breeding programs and of course we know that the nazis did that and so it shouldn't surprise us if that is also uh, happening behind closed doors and secret bases it would not be at all surprising if they're doing that the nazis had very that rebellious anti-biblical worldview on so many things that they almost like checked all the boxes about how evil you could be rebellious man is god you can be his gods um, and they were extremely occult they loved the occult yeah, yeah. crazy stuff um illustrate life asks has the author looked into the max planck institute regarding the editing of insects and plants to be released in the environment to vaccinate people covertly from no consent I have not read the particular paper by the Max Planck Institute, but I am familiar both with, um, like, for example, Bill Gates, the Gates Foundation has been promoting the release of mosquitoes with some kind of a terminator gene, male mosquitoes that would cause uh, infertile offspring as a way of controlling malaria in Africa, and that they've been running some tests on that kind of thing. And you see the same kind of impulse with Monsanto um, they spend a lot of money developing more productive uh, breeds of uh, fruits and plants. But then they want to make sure that the farmers have to buy the seeds from them every year. So they came up with this terminator gene that causes effectively their seeds will grow a plant for one generation, but then it can't have any fertile offspring. So you've got to buy seeds from them. The problem is once you have inserted this terminator gene into those plants, well, the they're growing in farmers' fields, and when they flower, their pollen is going out into the, basically, the, the environment. And the, that terminator gene could spread and get into other uh, wild plants or other domestic plants, basically corrupting other lines of, of heirloom seeds and things like that. So, um, yes, it's, it's a problem. And the question also, there's a huge philosophical question there of... God told us to take dominion over the earth, over the animals and the plants. And part of that dominion is breeding. So we see in the Bible, Jacob, he's, he did some kind of selective breeding on sheep in order to get them to breed more of the ones that he was allowed to keep, which was the speckled and colored ones, I think. But the point being that, um, of course, breeding animals is part, something that is legitimate and something that we are actually instructed to do by the word of God, by our, the commission from our creator to live here on earth and, and basically be the gardener. But then there is a point at which we can cross the threshold and we're doing, we're actually now doing destructive things. And I think that it's encapsulated in the original um, dominion mandate in Genesis. He said, each reproduce after your own kind. So if we as humans trying to basically produce more productive animals and plants if we start taking um, genetic strains and splicing dna from other from different kinds then we're crossing over that barrier and we are, we are effectively um, violating the dominion mandate by corrupting the the genome that god's given us to work with gotcha. you buy that <laughs> i do i do i think but it's an important thing like how what's what's a balancing test which is it dominion or changing the image you know are you doing it obediently or rebelliously i think it comes the obedience and rebellion is very important 
Um, very important to at least think about. Lee Veltman asks, what does Ken think about predictive programming and social engineering? How does that play into this whole transhumanism situation? Um, predict obviously, predictive programming, what you've got going on there is, um, okay, well, social engineering is where you've got, they want to use AI to control what you see. Um, for example, posts that you see on social media or on Google or on the news in order to manipulate you into the some something that they want you to do. It may be that manipulate you into hating President Trump or manipulate, you know, there could be a number of different objectives that they have. Um, whereas predictive programming is, as I understand it, um, where we see things in media that predict things that then happen and they prepare us to accept the, uh, the, the narrative when the thing actually happens. An example of that would be um, there was a lot of uh, movies of action movies about terrorists in the 1990s, um, including ones where they blew up cities or they um, tried to build a nuclear bomb to blow up a city. And then when we had the 9-11 attacks that in hindsight look very suspicious um, to have, have looked suspicious to a lot of people, the public had been prepared to accept this narrative that, oh, these, these, uh, these Muslims came and took a flight class and hijacked planes and flew them into buildings. So there's definitely an element where predictive programming prepares the population to receive um, a false message. But it's not quite the same as transhumanism because predictive programming is essentially takes a human to write the story, to, to put the story into your mind so that later when they actually do what they want to do, that you're already ready to believe the story that they want you to believe. You see the difference there? Yes. Yeah, gotcha. Um, let's see. I'm trying to, there's a question Hill Doggy asked from Gattaca, the movie. I think that's about genetics too. It's uh Around Gattaca movie, there was a large moral outrage and laws were passed. Do you blame the current lack of outrage with the infiltration of churches? Do you have any thoughts on that? That's definitely a factor. Um, if you look at the, the 20th century, the religion changed from church to sports, Olympics. And actually, the Greek religion was very much tied up in the Olympics um, back in, you know, uh, 2,700 years ago. Um, so I think, I think that obviously, uh, churches have been corrupted mainly through the universities and seminaries because most churches send their pastors to be trained in seminary. And so if you can control the seminary, you effectively could control most of the churches if you have a long-term view. And I, I definitely think there's evidence that, um, a lot of effort has been put into that, but yeah, the moral, the, the missing moral outrage, I think is largely because everyone's kind of just hypnotized. You know, if we're all watching TV, if we're all watching movies, um, we're not thinking we're just being carried along with the stream. But if we start right. to think about it, we should be saying, Hey, right. wait, stop. This is bad. Right. But it's mass. It's not mass mass formation psychosis it's mass formation hypnotism that's really kind of yeah. what's going on that tv is very powerful very powerful and it also tv news sets a lot of uh a lot of the uh, you know 
standards for what we talk about. So if you're watching that TV, it's very important. That's why all the corporations want to get on TV news. So. Well, actually, last year's Super Bowl halftime show really tied into that. You remember uh, Madonna did this one where she sang the song and the words were, not everyone is coming to the future. So basically, effectively saying if only some people are going to be brought in to the future and the rest are going to be left behind, i.e. called. And I, I think that was a predictive programming for this mass vaccine, wow. uh, gene editing vaccine that they're doing. Right. It's a uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard thing. You're not getting this. Imagine the power if you know this gene edit, this gene therapy is poison and there's other people that don't, right? So if somebody's giving a, a dictated, dictating everybody to take it, but what if there's a significant amount of the population that knows that there's, there's an agenda behind it? Imagine that. It's very powerful. It's a global IQ test. It could be, but let's say you're not even that smart, but somebody on the inside says, we, you know, this isn't this isn't the vaccine. Don't take it. So you and you're whatever member of the OTO. I don't know a Mason, right? So the Masons. Yeah. I, I'd like to see. I would like. I mean, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but if there's a sociological study of victims and people who got killed, you know, who mm -hmm. got injured and people who didn't, and parse through that, it'd be very interesting. Because what I think what you find is that the political classes of all the high political classes of all the nations in the earth, very few people actually died from the vaccine. That's what I think you'll find. Yeah, you're probably yeah, right. I'll, I'll bet Have you, you seen whatsmybatch.com? I think it's whatsmybatch.com. Yeah, that's right. Yes, I've seen that, yeah. So the I idea that it. they, and I'm not going to speculate too much on that, but the idea that, that there is proof that these vaccines are not uniform that they're, they're not vaccines yeah. yeah that these yeah. gene gene therapy shots are not uniform but yeah. that different people are getting very different things suggests yeah. that there's definitely a social engineering um yeah it's a, it's a, somebody called it an experiment within an experiment i think it was michael yeadon was the guy who did the, the statistical analysis and said that there's there's pooling around. You should not have pooling in any of these damn whatever happens to people, the injuries. You should not have pooling along geographical lines or date lines. And that's what he found. And it's like, whoa, which is a whole and that that takes it from negligence to intention, which in the law is crucial. I mean, we, this is a whole nother story, but kind of is kind of comes into transhumanism. I mean, believe it or not. Kind of well, it's, because... it's interesting. I, I identified this as a vulnerability about 10 years ago. I didn't write about it, but a long time ago when I was in the army, I had to go to a, um, a course. I was my, I was the battalion nuclear biological chemical defense officer. It was an infantry battalion and they would send, they would send a Lieutenant to this special school, which as I recall, took about six months where you, um, learn, a lot about nuclear biological chemical weapons and how to defend your battalion from it meaning basically what are the what are the um decontamination methods and how to avoid the fallout and all that stuff um so it, it wasn't high level by any means but what was really interesting to me was learning that um of the of those three biological weapons had been the big had been the dud um they had never been successful um because it's so hard to make something that's contagious that can survive in the air because sunlight just kills um, airborne pathogens. Everything viruses, yeah, everything, yeah. yeah. 
but the the pathogens that are airborne they have this massive protein coat like a like a shell an armor shell to protect them from dehydration and ultraviolet but that makes it really easy for your body's immune system to tag them and so even though respiratory viruses are super contagious it, they also tend to have a very low mortality rate unless you're malnourished uh, malnourished populations are the exception so um, it had occurred to me even back then that the only way to spread a highly deadly disease through the population would be through an injection. And that's why we see the worst um, diseases are spread through sharing, sharing needles, um, through sexual contact, and through uh, blood-sucking insects, all, all of which are basically giving you a blood-to-blood -blood transmission vector. So with the vaccines, we have, over the past 80 years, trained the populations of most countries in the world to go to this doctor and nurse who are people who care about you and, and want you to be healthy and want to help you to get the shot that's going to protect you or make you better. And so the problem is the doctors and nurses who administer the shot, they can't tell what's in it. It's, it's a vial of clear liquid. So no one who really knows what's in there except the manufacturer of the vaccine and that actually gives them an amazingly dangerous power to mess with the population because they could put anything in there and they could even have be tracking it by batch numbers. And there's no way for pe most people to find out unless they actually have their own lab and they do tests on different samples. Right. I mean, that's really what happened. And apparently under this gene therapy thing, the Pfizer thing is kept at super low temperature and highly controlled environment. So, like, they don't want people to have these things lying around. So, uh, really incredible. Uh, another well, question. Well, not just that. I think I think there may actually be biological samples inside of these things. Um, there, at first, people thought it was Hydra, mm -hmm. but there is a, strangely enough, a cylinterate, which means a something in the same family as jellyfish and um, coral. I think a, a cnidarian actually. Um, which parasitizes sturgeon eggs. So sturgeon is this giant fish that lives in northern seas, and there is this parasite that's a little jellyfish that gets inside of it, goes through the blood, gets into the ovaries, and then it, it basically gets inside of the eggs and turns inside out, and it basically is digesting the egg. Um, and, so, and then when the sturgeons spawn and the eggs um, come out, the creature basically finishes eating the egg and then turns flips back inside out again so now it's a little jellyfish and it floats around until it manages to get back into a host again and then repeat the cycle and um there was some of the uh slides looking at what's in this vaccine where things seem to be moving that looked like a hydra well a hydra is a cylinderate and it's the only uh, supposedly indestructible organism because if you cut them up they can basically uh reassemble themselves and so um it does cause one to wonder why we are finding things that look like a parasite on eggs uh, in a, a vaccine that's being injected into humans that's not supposed to have anything like that in it. Right. It should just have a broken down virus. That's all. That's what a vaccine is. It's not a vaccine. Whatever they're putting in people, they won the, the language battle from the beginning by saying, we're going to get you a vaccine. And so that's been implanted in everybody, but it's not, baby. It's not. This is something very different. 
Uh, you're yeah, you're in a dystopia. This, this, we are all in a dystopia with this thing going down and, and no oversight. But uh, the next three to five years are going to be very. We're in a World War II event, no question in my mind. So the next three to yeah. five years will be very fascinating. Um, and that's well, just is, putting it lightly. This is totally consistent with the way the serpent has worked down through history. If you go back to the book of Genesis what you see are a series of attacks of the serpent on the woman in order to destroy the seed. So the first attack is the garden of Eden, where his goal is simply to persuade her to switch sides. But then later um, you see Genesis six, that there's this hybridization, hybridization thing going on, which is involuntary on, on the part of the women. So effectively corrupting the seed. And then you see um, later when Moses, I guess the Pharaoh of in Egypt orders them to kill the boys. Uh, again, he's attacking the seed of the woman. Um, and so I think you can find this consistently down through history is that um, the serpent wants to destroy the seed of the godly seed of the woman and replace them with his own seed. And that functions at multiple levels. It's at a spiritual level. It also might have functioned in May may be functioning at the very physical level of literally trying to replace us with something else, uh, whether it's a chimera or whatever it is. And so the idea of having governments, of having basically people who are not accountable to anybody, distributing mass um, so-called vaccines to be injected into people, when people don't know what's in there, that's a terrible power that... A, a lot of evil could be done. However, I'm not, I'm not despondent. Um, it's interesting that when we had the Black Death back in the 1600s, even it killed almost a third to a half of Europe in some of the waves, but it, it did not kill all. And I think that the human species that God has designed us to be amazingly resilient, and there probably isn't a disease that could kill all of us. Um, there will always be a remnant that survives. And so um, I think we just need to dig in and try to educate people as best we can and uh, re- resist, you know, don't educate ourselves, don't be deceived, um, and basically try to keep your blood pure and <laughs> keep your offspring yeah. pure. Yeah. No, that's a great idea. I was just going to ask you the solutions, but uh, is there anything you'd like to add, Ken? I feel like we've kind of gone through a lot of those themes, you did an excellent job explicating a lot of those things. Anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap it up? Uh, not really. Thanks, Do thanks you, very much. Well, thanks for coming back. It's great to talk with you. Super informative and know so much. Um, where's the best place if people want to reach out to you or see your work or get in touch with you through social media? Do you have uh, anything you'd like to share? If you if you look me up on academia.edu, Ken Griffith, Kenneth Griffith, actually, um, you can contact me there. And I'll put the uh, links to the Academia EDU website. You can check out his work there. So it'll be in the show notes. But uh, again, researcher Ken Griffith. Also, you can go back and look at, into his inquiries into uh, where Noah's Ark could be in Turkey. That was uh, recorded December 2021. But again, today it was Ken Griffith discussing the transhumanist agenda. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Stay there.